What is up? We are back. This is Football Life Presents the Audible on this Tuesday, October 26th, the week of Halloween. We are almost halfway through the NFL season already. It's hard to believe. I am your host, though, Randy Hammond, ready to talk week seven and preview week eight with my co-host, my football compadre, Matt Bushnell, all the way up, probably some warm Arizona. It's getting chilly here in upstate, Matt. I'm jealous, but overall, how's it going with you today? It's getting chilly out here, Randy. We're doing well, but we are still facing right now a high of 76 degrees. Not built for this weather, Randy. I'm not built for it. I would happily take some 76 degrees right now, considering it's like a solid 47 right now. Uh, Next six months up here in the capital region will be brutal. Uh, But this is episode 78 of the show, and uh, we're approaching the end of lineman numbers, but uh, we got some good uh, players who used to wear the number 78, Matt. I will kick us off since I am the New York represent, uh, <laughs> representation of the show and say Bruce Smith is the player that I think of because you live in upstate New York. You see a lot of Bills fans, not a ton of great Bills um, jerseys you see in modern day, except for the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of times it is Bruce Smith. It is Jim Kelly. Uh, I mean, you see some OJ jerseys still, which is always kind of entertaining for me um, and probably for most. Uh, but yeah, number 78 of the Buffalo. Buffalo Bills, Bruce Smith. Yep, I am going to go with another Hall of Fame player, but on the offensive side of the football, and Anthony Munoz, um, ex-USC alum, college football Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer, in the discussion, easily one of the top three left tackles of all time. Great, great, great call on that. And uh, the other player I think of, just so Corey Richmond doesn't shout, uh, give us some, some shit in the comments, uh, is Leon Lett, uh, former Cowboys uh, defensive lineman and uh, f- probably owner of the one of the funniest plays in Super Bowl history, Matt. I don't know. I mean, you're the more the aficionado history-wise than me. But I always remember the highlight of him running into the end zone with the ball only for, I believe it was BB to knock yep. it out of the fans. Yep, Don Beebe of the Buffalo Bills. Um, you know, I think that's definitely one of the most iconic Super Bowl plays in Cowboys history. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that you remember that sort of play, you know, from a team that ends up losing because you think of a guy that hustles that much. Right. You think that they were winning, but actually they were getting the doors blown off them at that time. But um, also interesting, Don Beebe did win a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers about, I believe, five years later. So... Full circle yes. for Don Beebe. And for all our audience members, if you have a favorite jersey number from your team, please feel free to shoot it in the comments and we'll mm-hmm. possibly make a reference to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, the BB story is just so Buffalo to me. You try your hardest and yet you ultimately you come up short. <laughs> and then the player leaves and went somewhere else. So yes, <laughs> very Buffalo to me. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to talk about uh, these primetime games that we had in week seven, and then we'll transition into a preview of week eight while we recap week seven along the way. Um, I got to say, Matt, this was not the strongest football week I could remember. A lot of blowouts this week, um, a lot of bad teams playing against each other, uh, and a lot of bad football but nonetheless football i'm not going to complain about you i still love you uh i am here for you and your lows just like you are for me so uh we're going to talk about it just like we would any other time we're going to start though with monday night football last night one of the i didn't think of it ahead of time but while i'm watching one of the weirder quarterback matchups that i can remember uh is Jameis winston taking on geno smith uh as the saints traveled to seattle to play the seahawks and uh, 
just those two quarterbacks alone um, is an explanation for why this game ended 13 to 10. Uh, in the first quarter, Gino hit uh, DK Metcalf for an 84 yard touchdown. And that was the extent of the offense for the Seahawks. Um, and then Jameis, uh, he finishes 19 to 35 for 222 yards and a touchdown. Uh, basically this was the Alvin Kamara show. He had 20 carries for 51 yards along with 10 catches for 128 yards and the touchdown. Uh, eventually it led to a field goal uh, by, I forgot who the kicker is for the <laughs> Johnson for, for the Saints. So he kicks the field goal as the time expired to win the game. The Saints now four and two on the season at Bushnell. Uh, to me, I'm watching this and I'm just saying, you know, I could just really use Russell Wilson back in my life. You know, I don't know. I'm just going to say this off the bat, Randy. These three primetime games this week were hard to watch. All of them were um, featured a lot of bad quarterback play. I think what we saw from Geno Smith is just it's time just to get somebody else in there. Like this is not even worth trotting him out there. He is 31 years old. He offers nothing. You, you are not going to win a football game with Geno Smith as your quarterback that that I'm almost sure of like there's just nothing he brings to the table. And that roster is so devoid of talent now. I mean, DK Metcalf's great. I think we all know that Tyler Lockett's been, a non-factor ever since Gino came in. And it, it really kind of shows you how important Russell Wilson is to this team. And I, I guess if you wanted to give credit to Seattle's defense for playing better, I, I thought they did. But then we take a look at the other quarterback in Jameis Winston, and I'm not all that impressed with him either. I, he had those five touchdowns week one against the Packers, which oddly enough was the Packers only loss. Um, apparently green Bay just can't win in Florida. If you want to beat the green Bay Packers, just schedule that game to be placed, taking place in Florida and you'll beat them. <laughs> I, I just, I, I don't get this game. Thank God for the Manning cast. I, I'm just going to plug the hell out of that right now. Randy, oh yeah. Because this game. Oh yeah. Like if I had to watch this on just a regular ESPN broadcast, I, I might've turned it off, but when, when you get Tom Brady, I love that segment, and I love the Marshawn Lynch segment. Yep. <laughs> and so some interesting drama came out of the Marshawn Lynch thing, because Mike Florio, who uses the Twitter handle PFT Football, mm-hmm. um, you know, went after Peyton Manning a little bit, because we all know, if you paid attention, Marshawn Lynch dropped the F-bomb, and Peyton Manning had to apologize. And Florio mm-hmm. called him out for a phony apology. Mm-hmm. And man, did people go after Mike Florio. Not and phony apologies. Mm-hmm. I love, I mean, look, I, I, I will always vouch for that Manning cast. It is just fantastic television, especially if you love football as much as we do. They really get into the, the deep, deep of it. And then you add Tom Brady to the mix and oh, you're looking at guys who have done things that so many people in this world who, that will never do. And um, the history between those three people uh, just, just watching it, honestly, was the coolest part of any broadcast I think I've watched all year, despite how bad the game was. Yep. You got to see 
the back and forth, you know, Brady ribbing Peyton for how much he owned him and then Peyton <laughs> and then Eli giving it back to Brady for, for the Super Bowls. Like that whole segment just put a big smile on my face. And maybe it's because I am a Giants fan who did reap the benefits of that. But overall, Eli is kind of on the nose here with all the comebacks. And I really do uh, love him on the show. And him and Peyton have great chemistry, obviously. And I love the guests that they have and how well they all fit in together. So uh, Monday Night Football, um, the Manning cast when it's there makes it so much better. And yeah. this game in particular with Geno Smith, who ended Eli's consecutive start streak, by the way, uh, <laughs> makes the games just much more watchable and much more enjoyable. So I think we don't need to talk much more about that game. Thankfully that is over with and past our lives. Um, but that does not end the brutal primetime slate we had here. Sunday night football was played in a monsoon of some kind, like the just just coming down like crazy yeah. uh, rain all f- before the game, during the game did not stop at all. And it led to the Colts getting a 30 to 18 win over the San Francisco 49ers. And like, the score um, is interesting because if you watch the game, you're like, how the hell did either team score points? here? Yeah. It was, it was 12 to seven for a long period of time. Uh, I believe the, the, that, that was a score in the first and then it briefly changed right before halftime. But uh, I'll say this. Uh, I didn't think Carson Wentz played horrible. I know he had a brutal turnover in the red zone. I, I kind of think that was more on the rain than it was him, but uh, ultimately he could have just taken the sack instead of trying to do too much. But once I feel, I mean, I feel like more and more I watch Wentz, the more he doesn't completely disappoint me, which is kind of a low bar, but at the same time, uh, this is what Wentz is now. Um, but overall, I thought he played well in the rain compared to Jimmy G, who I thought did not play very well in the rain. And they had a similar completion percentage, similar yards, uh, similar touchdowns and everything. But uh, overall, Jimmy G, to me, the two two brutal interceptions he threw, uh, you got to avoid that if you can. But uh, also, the other part of this game that impressed me, uh, other than I'm a Michael Pittman fantasy owner and I owe him a steak dinner because he pulled a game, <laughs> pulled a game out of his ass for me. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor turning into a real feature back in this league. Uh, 18 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. He also has a three Three catches as well. Um, I don't know about you, and I don't want to make this comparison because every time someone's really patient in the backfield, oh, it's Le'Veon Bell. But he gives me Le'Veon Bell vibes when he's super patient, lets the blocks establish, looks for the holes and creases. Like that is a real skill that not a ton of running backs have these days. So I'm really impressed by Jonathan Taylor. And overall, the Colts now are three and four after that brutal start. Yeah, I think that's very interesting comparison to Le'Veon Bell because you see it on the screen game a lot where mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor kind of lets all that develop. I, I do like his running style. I think he's starting to come into that playmaker mold. And, you know, I, I came into this podcast thinking, Randy, that I, I really wanted to talk about the 49ers and dissect them a little bit. But the more mm-hmm. I think about it, you know, I think Wentz is a, is, is a little bit more interesting because as we see this offense – kind of get his footing it's kind of like a relationship you know when you don't see a friend for a long time and you kind of had awkward silence you don't really know what to talk about but then it starts picking back up and that chemistry kind of builds back up that kind of feels like Wentz and Frank Reich right now they're kind of figuring things out and this Indianapolis team may be okay but then I take a look at who they played on Sunday night and the 49ers and I, I I think there's so many things to call out about this team we hear about injuries from 49er fans all the time, you know, and even the announcers say, well, this is the most injured team the past five years, whatever. Well, if that's the case, you're doing something wrong because no team goes through a season perfectly healthy. Every team has guys on IR. 
there's a lot of injured teams. And I, I don't even believe the 49ers are the most injured team this year anyway. I think they're like middle of the pack for injured players. You know, it just happens to be they have a lot of injuries to their running backs and their star tight end, which is unfortunate. We all know that. But for a team that so desperately wanted to move off Jimmy Garoppolo, just wanted to get away from him because they thought, they thought that was the missing link. They do nothing to get Matthew Stafford. They do really nothing to get Carson Wentz, which, you know, by all means, I, I can kind of understand that. Their answer is to call the Packers the day of, you know, the day of the draft and try to get Aaron Rodgers. And the, the Packers hung up the phone and no, had no interest in it. So what do they do? They decide that their best course of action is to trade up, trade three first round picks to get a quarterback that's not going to be ready for two or three years. So now you see the glaring hole at quarterback with Jimmy Garoppolo making these idiotic mistakes. And then you see, you know, Trey Lance, who's just so far from being ready. I mean, is he going to be a good quarterback? Maybe. But he's like the quarterback that, you know, sits for half a year. Then he plays the next two years to get his feet under him. And then you need to start building that roster to that championship level. This roster is depleted. now. I don't know if they're that good. You know, we could take a look at go by position by position. And I'm not going to because it's not worth my time. But when they traded to Forrest Buckner, that, that, that was the beginning of the end on this mm-hmm. because he was so important to that defense. Now this defense can't stop the run. They don't play the pass particularly well. And if you can put up 20-plus points on this team, you are probably going to beat them if you have a decent enough defense. Elijah Mitchell had a nice game by all standards. You know He really showed up for the 49ers a little bit. But when your quarterback position is this disruptive, you don't have anybody at wide receiver outside of Debo Samuel, who I think is a very nice player. He's probably a number two wide receiver on a championship team, a number one on, you know, some bad passing teams. But then you have Brandon Ayuk, who's just on the bench, stored away in mothballs. I I, I don't get this team. And I'm done calling this a good football team because I don't think it is. You are mm-hmm. what your record says you are. And you take away that Super Bowl year, what have they done? Under 500 every single year. Even if you throw in that 500 or that Super Bowl year, Kyle Shanahan is a below 500 head football coach in the NFL. John Lynch is a below 500 GM in this league. I like Kyle Shanahan, but now you start – I'm not sure if you felt this, Randy, and if you felt this at all throughout the year, but this offense feels stale. There is nothing about this offense that you go into a game and you look at the game film, which I've done for the 49ers. It's the same stuff. And they want to run the football, but they don't make that commitment. They still let Jimmy Garoppolo throw in specific situations where it's just like, your bread and butter is running the football. Run the damn football. Forget about Jimmy G but they don't. And you know, that falls on coaching. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Shanahan does have a losing record as a head coach. And it's alarming to see some of the other coaches of the past that have higher winning percentages than he does. And I understand the, uh, the, the injuries, but I don't think any team has more injuries than the Baltimore Ravens do. And the Baltimore Ravens look as good as any team uh, in the AFC. 
uh, time and time again. So um, the injuries, obviously, I, I think when I watched the Niners offense, they clearly want to establish the run. And that they when they were at their peak, they did that with random guys yeah. uh, like Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman. Um, and I, they even signed Jerick McKinnon to a big contract, never turned into anything because he was hurt so much. Obviously, you come into the season with Mostert as your guy, he gets hurt. You draft Trey Sermon in the third round, he's been banged up. Then Elijah Mitchell sort of establishes himself. He gets hurt as well. So those injuries hurt, but to me, the most important injury of them all is George Kittle. George Kittle is not there to help block. He's not there to be the dynamic pass-catching playmaker on offense. He's not there to be the lead leader of your offensive attack because right now I know Debo Samuel's having a nice year. Debo Samuel, to me, is not a number one option on an offense, at least for a championship team. When they made it to the Super Bowl, George Kittle was as good of a football player as anyone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when we did our rankings, we had him in the top five of all football players in the entire sport. So this is the second straight year George Kittle isn't there on the field for the Niners on a consistent basis. So that part definitely sucks. But if Kyle Shanahan and overall um, the GM, whose name has escaped me, John Lynch, if they work together and were as good as everyone says they were, this roster would be better and they would be able to grind out some of these wins. The Colts by no means are that great wow. of a football team. And this is a rainy game at home. This should be right up your alley with a pound, uh, grounded pound, just run the ball down the Indies uh, defense and you just get a win that way. If you won this game 18 to 15, you're like, yeah, okay. Weather conditions. I understand it. Like, you know, that could blow up an entire game plan. Um, and that should have been a benefit to the Niners. And it wasn't. So that to me is, a, is, is, is alarming. And then they get a tough game against your bears coming up this week, which we'll talk about, but I have no faith in the 49ers offensively to turn this around. It's a Henry's point in the comments that the Niners have one of the worst time possessions, which leads to a tired defense. So that's true, but this shouldn't be that way because Shanahan, offense is totally built around running the football and for some reason he can't help but to call so many of these passing plays so I don't know if it's a, it's a talent issue a commitment issue a play calling issue I don't know what exactly the problem is but to me you can't just say oh we had all these guys get hurt the Ravens lost their two best running backs before the season even started they have Devontae Freeman Le'Veon Bell and Latavius <laughs> Murray who they all picked up off waivers as their three running backs and they're still great at running the football. And I know they have Lamar Jackson, which certainly helps, but that's the whole point of you drafting Trey Lance. Was it not? Yeah. So what are we talking about here? I just think that this is a flawed approach in this organization and something's got to give, or they're just going to have another year where they're picking in the top 10 wondering what they're going to do for the future. Yeah. And, th- and thanks to Corey Decker. Um, he says the 49ers have the 14th most players on IR notable teams ahead of them. Cowboys, Titans, Browns, and Ravens. And the Ravens actually lead the NFL with 26 players on IR. John Harbaugh, greater than symbol. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you can go back to the quarterback room on that. Lamar Jackson is better than what the Niners have, you know, and at best maybe Trey Lance turns into what Lamar Jackson is. And, and, And Lamar Jackson by no means is the best quarterback in the NFL. I think what you could say about Lamar Jackson, he's the best athlete in the NFL. Because the things that he can do, you know, really puts so much stress on an offense, on a defense. But I, I agree with you. We saw it in the Super Bowl when he was offensive coordinator with Atlanta. And, and, and I get it. You know, sometimes down and distance dictates things. But sometimes it's just better making the other team use timeouts and mm-hmm. getting that out of the way. You know, you, you want to get rid of the clock. And Shanahan won this throw. Okay. You know, th- that's you know, evidence number one. Evidence number two is against the Chiefs. They have a lead, and then he's still throwing against one of the most potent 
offenses in the NFL are, you know, you know, to trying to throw on a team that has a really great offense. Well, guess what? They have one of the worst run defenses in the NFL and you were killing them on the ground. Your sweeps with the wide receivers were working, you know, little dump off passes to Kittle. You know, you were doing things on the ground game that works. What we know with Shanahan's scheme, and this makes no sense to me, is how good they are running the football and he wants to throw the football. And it ties right into Henry's point about the time of possession. You can't just give away the clock every time. This was a winnable game. The Colts play in a dome. They're not used to this type of weather. The, the 49ers play outside. They are more used to inclement weather than the, you know, the Colts should be. But they're, you know, this game just didn't play out that way. You play every year in Seattle. It's miserable in Seattle almost every time you play them there. To me, this was a no excuse sign of the times. And, uh, you know, the 49ers are getting killed across all media platforms. You, you know, you, you go listen to Florio. You go listen to Rich Eisen. You go listen to, you know, a lot of respected football guys. This is not a good football team right now. And, you know, that, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, maybe losing Robert Salah has had a bit of an impact. And then uh, Brandon Ayuk, their first round ride receiver that they had and who showed really that he could play last year pretty well, I thought, um, is in the doghouse. Uh, he's not getting the right player burn that he, he should be getting. Uh, and Henry keeps saying that him and the coach have major disagreements and he's got to work that out. So um, when you're when you're in a talent deficiency, which seems to be um, the, the problem here with the Niners, you got to let your talented players play. I know you got you to work out those differences and figure it out. So um, I, I, I go back to the 90s Cowboys. You talk about issues. I mean, that, that entire wide receiver core with Alvin Harper, Michael Irvin, you know, th that was a mess. And then that defense was insane with Charles Haley and Leon Lett. You know, mm. And then the offensive line was probably doing more coke than God knows <laughs> yeah. what, probably treating it like sugar. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would have given 86 Mets a run for their money. But these are things, as a coach, you have to navigate. These are not choir boys. There's going to be issues. You're the head coach. You have to navigate those waters and you have to get the players on the field, just like the training staff. You have to get these players on the field. Injuries are going to happen, but you need to keep them healthy as best as you can. Agreed. Uh, Henry, if you want to take a break from the show, you will talk about the Bears Niners matchup here in just a little bit. So we have one more primetime game to talk about before we transition into week eight. Uh, unfortunately, Matt, this was a brutal Thursday night football game, uh, but no Baker Mayfield, no Nick Chubb, no Kareem Hunt, no problem for the Browns and how mighty have fallen. Both of us love the Denver Broncos so much. They have now lost four consecutive games after starting off the season three. Uh, the Browns now four and three, thanks to Case Keenum who went 21 of 33 for just a yard short of 200 and a touchdown. And Dearness Johnson played, I believe, in the AAF. Uh, his story <laughs> is quite an interesting one. Um, he sent out all these uh, AAF teams, Instagrams, DMs, trying to get noticed, and eventually one of them gave him a shot. And then he got the opportunity to start in this game, and he he went 22 for 146 and a touchdown. He also had two catches for 22 yards. And this is the whole reason I say running backs don't matter, folks. This guy was by all means unemployed and was not even in the NFL just a year ago. And he filled in for one of the most dynamic running back duos there are, in the league and he had the best um i believe it was i don't know if it was yards per carry but overall rush rate or whatever uh in a game so far this season so to me when you can plug and play a guy 
someone who was not unemployed, someone play paying pennies to do this for you. Um, why would you ever invest in a major big time running back? And I love Nick Chubb and I think him and Kareem Hunt are the best running back duo in the league, but here we are with both of them out and they don't miss a beat on the ground. And they don't have their quarterback, mind you, Case Keenum started this game. And you have Odell Beckham Jr., who continues to not look like his old self. He looks like a shell of himself. And then you have Austin Hooper as your leading receiver and Jarvis Landry coming back for the first time. He's still not right. Um, to me, this is the Dearness Johnson game. I don't know if we'll have another one of these. It looks like Nick Chubb might come back this week. But boy, oh boy, are these Broncos a mess, Matt. What the hell happened to Vic Fangio? Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 22 or 30, oh, 23 of 33, 187 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Nothing working on the ground, just 41 yards. Well, what is going on in Denver? Yeah, you know, I think this one I got to take back the game tape and really, you know, study on this one. I didn't get a chance to look at the game film this weekend or today. So it's something I got to take a look at. But man, just from the optics of it, the Browns talent level is so good that they have all these guys, all these star players hurt, and they're still able just to dominate at the point of attack against those Denver Broncos. Teddy Bridgewater, I mean, he's a nice system quarterback. And I think what we, what we got this whole thing wrong, Randy, is how good was the Broncos roster around him. And I think we're starting to see it's probably not as good as we thought it was going to be. Um, you know, the, the linebacker core is not very good for the Broncos right now outside of Von Miller. And I, I don't think Bradley Chubb played either. And I don't, I, I have no idea. I would love to know the number of Bradley Chubb games played since he's been yeah. drafted. Looks like he did not play in this game and Von Miller left early. So yeah. plus the Broncos have their four best linebackers on IR. So that doesn't help either. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's injuries and this is the NFL. And this is what we talk about. If I'm not going to give the 49ers a pass, I can't give the Broncos a pass for this either. Correct. Your job is to build a roster to sustain these injuries and every team's going through it. The Browns have been hit hard and they're not making excuses. They're just trying to go out there and win football games. The Ravens not making excuses, just trying to go out there and win football games. The Broncos have to go out there and win football games. That's the end of the, that's it. That's it. Vic Fangio is not getting the job done. I imagine this is probably his last year in Denver. I, I, I don't see them bringing him back, you know, and right or wrong or indifferent, you know, you got to pay the price for something. So someone's head's going to roll with high expectations mm -hmm. and it's going to be his. Yep. And Pat Shermer will probably probably be gone with him because um, look, this is a game the Broncos should have won. <laughs> I know they're I know you're in Cleveland, but the, the Browns are without their three best players on offense. Uh, and you still could not do anything. And yeah, I mean your defense only held you have the held with 17 points. This game to me is on the offense. And I think they still have talent. I know they're missing Jerry Judy, but between Cortland Sutton, Noah Fan, Javante Williams, Tim Patrick, Melvin Gordon, like that should be enough to get the job done. And maybe Teddy Bridgewater uh, isn't the guy. Like I know we talked about him being conservative, doesn't turn the ball over a ton, um, but maybe he's just not good enough to make it plays to win in this league anymore. Uh, and maybe he never was anyway, but maybe he, we just overestimated him. He can maybe he can beat bad teams. And to me, Cleveland without Baker Mayfield should be a bad team. But you know the defense is still good in Cleveland, regardless of how banged up they are offensively. 
Um, and obviously Denver doesn't like Drew Locke that much because I felt like this would have been an appropriate game to bring in Drew Locke, and they still kept Teddy out there. And Teddy's numbers in this game are kind of misguided because the end of the Browns started throwing in their backups and Teddy let it drive down the field to score a touchdown. Like to me, his numbers were so much worse than the, than the numbers actually show. So I don't know. Denver, it, it's getting late early for the Broncos here, four in a row down and the Browns are staying competitive, but that's a tough division. I don't know what their season's going to end up with, but it looks like Baker practice today. So, or is going to practice tomorrow. Yep. And Corey Decker bringing some good information. I thank you, Corey. We appreciate it. Bradley Chubb has played a total of 35 games since drafted. That's not he good was drafted enough. in the Saquon year, the 2018 year. So, yep, yep, that's not good enough. You gotta play more games than that. Yep, I agree. So, there, there's, there's Thursday night football, and that's a, it's a pretty good transition, Matt, to our next segment and to our preview for week eight because yeah, boy, oh boy, do we have a great Thursday night matchup on our, on our hands here because. Uh, I mean, in theory, it would have been an all-timer, but unfortunately, the world we live in might be preventing that for uh, on us. But, hey, we still get Aaron Rodgers for the time being. It is the Green Bay Packers traveling to the big toaster in Arizona <laughs> to play the undefeated, the only undefeated team it left in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. And, um, the, the, you know, on paper, to me, I can't remember ever a Thursday night game better than this matchup right now. You have the 6-1 and Packers, the 7-0 and Arizona Cardinals. But here comes – Reality. Unfortunately, <laughs> Devontae Adams, one of the three best wide receivers in the NFL, is on put on the COVID-19 reserve list. So he's going to be out for this game. So, and then Alan Lazard also put on the COVID-19 reserve list. So so I, I know Adams was listed as unlikely, you know, when the test became positive, but they said there was a small chance. Has he been officially ruled out now? No, I mean, if you get two negative tests, you can return. So in theory, yeah, he could play. I'm, I'm just going to doubt that that's yeah. possible. So, I, I mean, a lot of things have to go well for that to happen. But, hey, yeah, let, I mean, for our sake, let's, let's hope that happens. Not for Corey Decker's sake, uh, but for <laughs> a football fan's sake, you want Devontae Adams on the field. But nonetheless, you still get Aaron Rodgers against Kyler Murray. Yep. And – the Packers coming off of a win over the Washington football team where I don't think they were totally crazy impressive. I just think Rodgers did his thing. Devontae Adams looked amazing as always. And they get Bobby Tanyan back in the mix for once on National Tight Ends Day. So we like to see that. Uh, to me, that's more of an indictment on Washington and Taylor Heineke not looking like the guy more and more each week. Um, on the flip side, Arizona goes down to the Houston Texans 5 nothing, and then proceeds to score 31 unanswered points to end the game. So anyone who had the Cardinals and Survivor had a rough first few minutes of that game and then eventually uh, were able to coast to uh, advancing in your in eliminator pools. Um, so Arizona undefeated still. And I always like to talk about how I don't trust Cliff Kingsbury. and I, I, The offense is kind of gimmicky, but overall their offense is crazy deep with talent, especially now with Zach Ertz, who like, seemed to come right in and and not miss a beat at all. He seems to fit in just, just as well as you know everyone else does. But what's impressive to me, Matt Bushnell, is the Cardinals' defense. And J.J. Watt is healthy and playing well. The linebackers look good. The secondary looks good. I did not expect that from Arizona. And that so far, their defense, if it's going to play this well, we might be talking about the Cardinals going higher than we even could have imagined. Yeah, and Chandler Jones is back too. So have fun with that, Green Bay, with your assortment yeah. of offensive linemen that are out. I, to me, it, you get the quarterback matchup, which is important. But the talent disparity between these two teams, and I, I wouldn't have thought it to begin the year, Randy. I, I do feel the 49ers offense is a little overrated, 
I'm sorry, the 49 the Packers offense is a little <laughs> overrated. And, and we're seeing that. They're struggling to put up points on the board. It's not easy for them to put up points. They should have hung up 40 points on Washington. It was there for them, and they were only able to put up 24. To me, if Adams doesn't play, this offense is screwed in a lot of different ways. And Alan yeah. Lazard is probably Rodgers' favorite second target. Now you're talking about Randall Cobb and Amiquius St. Brown. Um, to, it, to, Tanya's going to have to get like a Travis Kelsey type of game here. Like he's going to have to put up big numbers. Um, for Aaron Rodgers and he hasn't done that all year you know he's had a couple of nice plays and he's got some touchdowns here and there I think he's got two on the year actually so excuse me so so now you start taking a look at this team and you're like how are they going to move the ball on Arizona we talked about Watt, we talked about Jones but really there's a lot of parts to this defense Buda Baker's excellent like you want to watch a very physical versatile Mm -hmm. defensive back Buda Baker's it they have a really underrated secondary that's really good. Their offensive line is playing really well, and we already talked about their defensive line. And then, oh, yeah, Kyler Murray, who's basically unfair to play against because <laughs> what he can do in the pocket, his eyes, he level sets, he manipulates. He's got the mental part of this game down. He's got the physical part of this game down, and it's looked like he's playing in slow motion. He can do what they want. And then with James Conner and Chase Edmonds being able to run the football, to me, I'm sold. I'm sold, Randy. I think this team is really, really good. They're well coached. They play well together. And I I know they have spurts of frustration, but it's a lot less than a lot of these other teams in the NFL. I think they're going to exploit the Packers secondary with DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green. And now you give them Zach Ertz. It's just unfair at this point. And then you got Christian Kirk. Those are four legitimate weapons, but this team will still try to run the football to me, the Packers, I saw it against Washington football team. Tyler Heineke just he, – he could have had a lot more completions. Terry McLaurin basically had to jump 10 feet in the air for every pass. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray's not going to make those throws that bad. He, he's going to put them on the numbers. Give me the Cardinals 36 to Green Bay's 21. Uh, okay. Uh, to me, and, and not even to mention that James Conner and Chase Edmonds are quite the one-two punch at running back too. And, um, you don't think about them, but honestly, the Cardinals run the ball very well. And it's the credit to those two guys and Kyler's rushing stats have plummeted because of it. And I think it's an effort to protect him too. So that, that has value value in the long run. Um, I, for a long time, I thought JJ Watt is pretty disingenuous, uh, like a, like sort of a, like a fake tough guy in a way, but, um, I think he really added an edge to the defense. I, I think that his failures and injuries in the last few years um, really had motivated him to come back and show that he is a great football player. I mean, this is a guy who still won three defensive player of the year awards, which is only something <laughs> one other guy has ever done in the history of the sport, like, or two guys now, I believe Aaron Donald did it a third time. Um, but we can't really <laughs> underestimate that the career of JJ Watt is sort of one of legend and he is going to be a hall of famer in the future. So I probably, I overestimate, I underestimated, I should say the signing of JJ Watt and, and Corey is saying that, you know, the backup for Chandler Jones, Marcus Golden, 
who Dave Gettleman just let leave for no reason on the Giants. Thank you, Dave. Um, is got three sacks last week against the Texans. So now Chandler Jones returns against the Packers. To me, Arizona can almost run a NASCAR package with all three of those guys and just wreak havoc on opposing offenses as long as the three of them can stay healthy. So um, I can't believe I, I'm going to agree with you that a Cliff, Car- Cliff Kingsbury coach team is well coached, but here we are. And they are, and they absolutely are, uh, and that's why they're seven and zero. I think they will remain undefeated, but I think Rodgers scares them a little bit. Devontae Adams, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, still a bad man. That guy, still very great to this day. So I like the Cardinals, thirty-one to the Packers, twenty-seven, and it's going to be Bill. I think it's still going to be a great game, Devontae Adams or not. And I have Aaron Jones in fantasy, so I'm hoping for a big, big day for that. Oh, apparently that's an inside joke from Leon. Thank you, Leon, for joining us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, I didn't want to say anything. So Sunday, <laughs> which is Halloween. I love when football Sunday coincides with Halloween because I do not have children. I do not have to worry about trick-or-treating. I am just going to watch football all day. And this is going to be a great football day because they're going to be showing all of the fans walking into all these games in their stupid costumes, and I get to laugh at them. This is going to be so great. I love when this happens. It only happens every so often, but it's truly a special day for it. All right, Matt. So the first game I have on my list here is a brutal game in the NFC South, and it's the Panthers, who now have lost four in a row. Similar to the Broncos, they got shellacked by my Giants 25-3 to in a game where Sam Darnold got benched, and then Matt Rule continues to vouch for him and say that he is their starter going forward. Do not understand what's going on in Carolina at all. I can't believe that Christian McCaffrey, a running back, matters so much to a team, but here we are. And the Falcons coming off of, uh, I believe, two straight wins now. They, they beat the, the Dolphins after trying to blow the game to the Dolphins, but mind you. Um, the Falcons are sneakily three and four um, after starting absolutely terribly. So uh, to me, I mean, the Panthers are just free falling and they're in a horrible headspace right now. And unless they can make a change at quarterback, get healthier, do something, I do not. I mean, you get beat up by the Giants that bad. I just have no faith they'll do anything well in the immediate future afterwards. So give me the Falcons in the spot. I don't know. How do you feel? You know, I've been the Sam Darnold drum to death. I'm almost tired of talking about him. I'll say the Falcons win. Um, I, I did watch the condensed version of the Giants and Panthers game. And my God, it Sam Darnold, awful. I mean, he, he lost that game for him. And, and I know we could talk about the Giants. I think the Giants did some things really well in that game. But Sam Darnold was awful. A- absolutely awful. You cannot play quarterback. That, that's Geno, love, Geno Smith level of awfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to me, I'm done with them. And that's why you hear rumors about three teams that are starting to push each other for Deshaun Watson, Miami, Carolina, and Denver. Those three teams, coincidentally enough, all three of them have quarterback issues and all three of them want Deshaun Watson. And I think Houston's going to get a nice package for Watson after all. I don't see how this team continues with Sam Darnold. We talk about the riskiness of picking up that fifth year option. God, mm-hmm. th- that's awful now. Th- this is you know, somehow you got to figure out salaries with Deshaun Watson and Sam Darnold. And I think why rule is publicly backing him to increase that trade value. So maybe Houston takes them back, but this is the Falcons game. I, I like what I see in increments. They have to get Calvin Ridley, the ball more. They have to find ways to get Calvin Ridley, the ball, whether it's lining him up in the slot, whether it's putting them out wide, whether it's putting him in the backfield and having them, you know, kind of scoot out for a little bubble pass or something. 
Calvin Ridley's got to be the focal point, and that will open up more things for Kyle Pitts. I think that eventually they'll see that and maybe move to that more type of offense. So go ahead and give me Atlanta 24 to the Panthers, you know, six. I'll give them two field goals. I just don't think this is very competitive. Yeah, the Darnold thing, and I've been pretty indifferent, but overall I don't know how anyone could be impressed by the guy at all. He showed development a little bit in the first three games, but then once McCaffrey went down, it was all downhill from there. He really has not looked good. I mean, in the Giants game, he looked – he played one of the worst games I've ever seen a quarterback, and I was happy they benched him because if you didn't bench him, you were just admitting that you're not paying attention because he was not doing anything to help you win that game. And anything, anything he was hurting you every single snap. So um, good for the Panthers there, but to just stick him right back out there and, and just say he's your guy, that that's alarming to me. The Falcons side of things, on top of Calvin Ridley finding finally finding the end zone, which I agree with you, he's a special player. He's got to got to get the ball more. Kyle Pitts is is a freaking stud, man. He's got great hands. He made a great catch on the sideline uh, on that final drive for the Falcons, where he just stuck his hand out. It reminded me of To. They had one of the years that To was on the video game cover and stuck his hand out as a one hander. It kind of looked like that. He's an absolute stud, and this is why he's picked. He was picked fourth overall. I still think it was a Brutal mishandling of resources, picking a tight end fourth overall, but he is extremely talented and becoming one of Matt Ryan's favorite targets. Uh, yeah, I like the Falcons at home here against the Panthers. I'm not picking Sam Donald ever again in my life. Uh, it can be uh, Atlanta 24 to the Panthers 9. I'll give him three field goals. Uh, <laughs> That's very kind of you. Very nice person. All right. Uh, now in AFC East matchup in the Buffalo Bills coming off of a bye week after losing to the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football a week ago. Get a gift in the Miami Dolphins coming to town. And I got to say, the Miami Dolphins are, I don't know if they're the most disappointing team in the league this year. I don't think I would put them in that category, but they're a freaking mess. Um, they started off uh one in four, and then they get a gift from the NFL gods, right? It's like, all right, here's Jacksonville, and here's Atlanta. Go right the ship, get three, get to three and four, and maybe you can, you know, figure something out and go from there. So not only did that not happen, <laughs> they lost both of their matchups against two of the worst teams in the league, and I guess the Falcons, record-wise, aren't the one of the worst teams in the league, but these are two games you have to win. So I don't know what to think of this team anymore. I really like the coach. Now I don't know what to make of Flores. Tua, I thought, played – pretty well minus one brutal interception but overall you can kind of tell he's not the guy um the, the dolphins are a flawed team and i after going 10 and 6 last year i'm just i'm so confused of what to make of them and their season's over before halloween so this this feels like a route for the bills josh allen's best career numbers are against the miami dolphins and it's not particularly yeah. close i think he has like 140 passer rating against mm-hmm. them in games played i look you get a team that's off a of bye week that's very pissed off about how they lost to the Buffalo Bills. I mean, to the Tennessee Titans, the Bills are pissed off. Mm-hmm. So to me, th- this game's going to be a blowout. I-, I think Josh Allen and these Buffalo Bills are just going to beat the living hell out of the Miami Dolphins. And I don't think it's close at all. I, you know, give me the Bills 37 to the Dolphins 17. And, you know, I kind of feel like it's going to be lower for the Dolphins. But I definitely think they're putting up 30-plus points. 
the Bills are already destroyed this offense in week two this year in Miami. So it's hard to believe that this is going to go any different. And the last time Miami was in Buffalo was week 16 or week 17 last year. All Miami had to do was win and they were in. And not only did they not win, they got smoked. <laughs> it was one of two of his worst games. And uh, this probably was going to get could happen here as well. So, yep, give me the Bills. I like them uh, 39 to 13 uh, in a big spot. All right, so now we got you know we're gonna talk about two divisional games. Let's make it another one. Uh, this time it's the AFC North. Uh, it is the Steelers going to Cleveland to play the Browns. It looks like Baker Mayfield is on track to practice tomorrow. He's a very tough man. I don't know how he's gonna do it. Uh, if the guy takes one hit, I feel like his shoulder is just gonna crack and he's gonna be done. But nonetheless, he's gonna give it a shot. I'm not sure of the status updates of Nick Chubb, um, but I believe he has a chance to come back. Cream Hunt, I know, is gone for a couple more weeks. But um, I, I, it's kind of weird because I don't love the Steelers, but I kind of like them in this spot, and I like their defense against this kind of – it feels like a broken Browns offense right now. So this feels like a defensive matchup for the ages, I should say, um, and neither team scores more than 14 points. To me, I, I think you take a look at Case Keenum. He, he, he did a fine job. Let's, yeah. let's face it. He, you know, he's not going to be a world beater. But he, he's still a decent backup. He, he's a good backup to have. And I think he's yeah. more than capable of leading this team to a win. Again, to me, throwing Baker out there this soon, I get it. He's a tough guy. He wants to play. He wants to go at it. It's just not worth it long term, especially if you're going to give him big money. Uh, if you're still not sure about him, then maybe that sways your decision. But I feel like this is where the team has to take control of the player and say, look, we love you. We believe in you, but you can't play this game. You know, we just can't risk it long term wise because Case Keenum's not leading them to a Super Bowl. Let's just face that right now. So I, I think Cleveland does three things really well they run the football, they play good defense, and they are a terrific play action team. That they are probably one of the two or three best play action teams in the entire NFL. That to me is good enough to beat this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Ben Roethlisberger kind of looks like he's all right, you know, kind of knocking off some of the rust. Maybe he's not, you know, a corpse back there, but still you could tell the end is near for that, for that guy. To me, mm-hmm. this feels like a Browns win. You know, I, I think the Browns are going to start stacking some wins here and get back in that AFC North title conversation. So go ahead and give me the Browns, Randy. I, I'm going to take it. I agree with you. I think it's going to be a slugfest. I think it's going to be ugly. It's not going to be that high scoring game. It was in the playoffs last year. Give me 20 to 18 Browns. All right. Uh, I I just, even if it is Case Keenum, and who I agree is a very serviceable backup and is the guy who threw the ball in the Minneapolis Miracle, but my, by the way, uh, I don't think people remember that. Uh, he was very good for the Vikings that year. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, I like the Steelers here because I love their defense. And I think even if, if, if Baker plays and he's not 100%, I think he could make a few more mistakes than he's used to making. Um, not to say he's not <laughs> prone to that anyway, but um, I just think even if you're ending up with Case Keenum in this game, the talent of the Browns offense, like I feel, I mean, I'm an Odell guy, but he doesn't look like uh, he's an effective football player anymore. Uh, maybe the injury's caught up to him. He doesn't feel like he has the same explosiveness. His hands aren't as reliable as they once were. He's had brutal drops on fourth down each of the last two weeks. Maybe Jarvis Landry coming back helps this whole offense, but for the most part, um, I'll trust the Browns more when they have that running back duo back. Um, So I like the Steelers in this spot, and I like them 13 to 12 uh, in just a 
And then, you know what? I, sometimes you see these like defensive games that are like, oh, this is uh, just bad offense. I think like legit it's going to be a great defensive performance on both sides. I do think the offenses are a little bit brutal, especially the Steelers. But I do think these defenses are both really good and it's going to be a hell of a game uh, on that side of the ball. All right. Transition now to this. I mean, look, we might be talking in history here, Matt Bushnell, because one team is winless and they're itching for a win. They've had brutal losses. They've had down to the wire and our friend Leon, but hoping and praying for a Lions victory. And this would be the week to get it because now you get the Philadelphia Eagles who do not look good at all. Just got smoked by the Raiders. Uh, they lost 33 to 22 and the game was not as close as that even. I mean, they were losing 30 to seven in the fourth quarter of that game. And um, look, the Lions, I think, pulled out all the stops <laughs> against the Rams. They had three fake punts. They had trick plays out the wazoo. They really tried. I think they really tried for Jared Goff to beat the Rams. They came up short. Goff had a chance to throw a touchdown pass that would have tied the game. He It was intercepted in the end zone by Patrick, um, Patrick Ramsey, by Jalen Ramsey, and that was all she wrote for the Lions. Now, I kind of feel like – that was that was it for them. Like this is a, this best you're going to get. But at the same time, the Rams are good, man. I just I don't think that we can really judge every team against the Rams. The Eagles, on the other hand, I think the Eagles are more talented, and I think that they're better overall. But if the Lions were going to get a win at home against kind of a wounded animal team, uh, this might be it. And you know, Jared Goff feels like a upgraded version of Sam Darnold to me. <laughs> and just picking him, like, I, I, you know, my theory is simple on stuff like this. You know, if I'm unsure, I want to take the team with the best, most impactful player on the field. And I don't know, you know, if that's going to be um, Cox or maybe, maybe Brandon Graham for the Eagles defensively, Darius Slay maybe against his old team. Dan Campbell is kind of like an X factor at, at the coaching position. I, I think Dan Campbell is a really good motivator. I think the Eagles mm-hmm. play hard. It's kind of what I thought this Lions team was going to be versus, um, yeah, I can't remember the Eagles coach's name. Nick Sirianni. Sirianni. Boy. Who Sirianni. feels one and done to me. He gives me very much one and done coach vibes. Yeah. I, man, you're asking me to pick Jared Goff. And I saw this game and I thought about it. I'm trying to talk my way into this and I can't, I I just, I can't talk my way into the lions and Jared Goff. Cause at the end of the day, people can say, Oh, Dan Campbell. Oh, well, you know, this guy, Deandre Swift or this guy, this guy, Jared Goff had issues winning football games with the Rams. Let that sink in for a minute. He had issues winning football games with the Rams you put them with a team that's completely void of talent. And I, mm-hmm. I, they got a couple of guys that are nice, but really this roster is not good. Like it's really tear down, build back from the top. I, I could see this being a winless team. I, I think they get a win or two, but to me, this is an Eagles game to win. I think Jalen Hurts has a big game. I think Hurts goes over 400 yards total offense. I don't know how he does it. If it's 200 on the ground or however he does it. But Hurts with 400 total yards, four touchdowns total. Eagles win 31 to 24. 
That sounds great for three of my fantasy teams there, Matty Bush, because uh, Jalen Hurts <laughs> continues to have great fantasy success despite not being a great actual fantasy quarterback. Somehow in that, that uh, Raiders game, he ended up with 29 fantasy points for me. I, I have no idea how that happened, um, but still, I, uh, I'll i take it. So, yeah, I, I do think Jalen Hurts is due for like a breakout game here, and I think the Lions are the perfect team to do it for them. I just don't know what to make of Nick Sirianni and the Eagles offense as a whole unit because he drafts Devontae Smith. He shows flashes every now and again, but he doesn't have the consistent um, play that, you know, another receiver who we're going to talk about in a minute has. Um, Jalen Rager has the case of the drops every single week. Goddard came back. He played okay. He, he clearly is the guy that, hurt, uh, that Hurts looks for. Um, you need that safety blanket and tight end, so I think that's going to be fine. They don't run the ball well with their running backs, I noticed. Kenneth Gainwell makes some plays here and there, but overall he's a backup. But then Miles Sanders – it's supposed to be the guy, but he doesn't get consistent carries. And to me, Hertz only Hertz gets all these yards because he's scrambling a lot of the time looking to throw and no one's open. So he has to take off on his own. Um, you know what? I wanted to predict the Lions to win this game, but I can't. <laughs> it's just like their destiny to lose every game in such heartbreaking fashion. And I feel like that's what's going to happen here, too. So I like Eagles uh, 27 to the Lions 24. And I bet it's probably another last second field goal. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no other way that it could happen for the Lions. Yeah, like I, I try to find reasons why, but I mean, Jared Goff is so bad at the quarterback position. I mean, obviously he's an upgrade over Sam Darnold, but we're still looking at a very bad quarterback. Mm-hmm. And this Lions team isn't good enough to compete with the elite teams or even the good teams or even the average teams. The, the only way Lions get a win is if they play a bad team. And the Eagles are a bad team, but they have an extremely dynamic player at the quarterback position. They sure do. And uh, DeAndre Swift on the Lions side is the gift that keeps on giving for fantasy for me as well, because Jared Goff stinks and he loves to check down to his running backs and Swift has great hands. So I love me some DeAndre Swift. All right. We're going to move on now to another divisional matchup. And this time it's the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans coming off a of massive wins over the Buffalo Bills. And they nearly shut out the Kansas City Chiefs, which feels even hard to say out loud. But hey, that's that's the, I mean, that's what happened. So the Titans beat the Chiefs 27 to three, was it or was it bigger than that? I don't even remember. But they held the Chiefs to just three points. And Patrick Mahomes by far the lowest amount in Kansas City in, that, in the Mahomes era. So the Titans, uh, as much as we did not love them coming into the season, we didn't love their defense. We didn't love how the offense was constructed uh, with Derrick Henry leading the way here. Hey, they're frisky. They're showing that we can beat any single team we play in the AFC at any given week. And if we're hurt at all at any position, we can lose to the Jets. So the, the outcomes for the Titans have no bounds. <laughs> they could go low as low or as high as high. And now the Colts, who probably should have won their last three, they really blew that game against the Ravens, um, now have two straight wins, one over the Texans, now the 49ers. They're right back in the mix as well at three and four. This is going to be a much better game this time around than it was back in week four. Uh, and I'm excited. I, I can't believe but I'm actually pretty excited to watch this game because this is going to kind of show me what the rest of this division is going to look like, whether the Titans run away with it or the culture here to stay, and it's going to come down to the wire. So, Randy, I want to go back in history a couple of weeks and then kind of get us caught up to speed. When we talk about the Colts, they could have beat the Rams. Let's face it, that that Mm -hmm. game was within within reach for them. Mm -hmm. They could have beat the Seahawks. Uh, Honestly, they should have beat the Seahawks. Did they beat the Seahawks? I don't think they beat the Seahawks. No, they lost week one. Okay. All right. That's what I thought. 
So, so now we're taking a look at a team that the record right now is three and four, I believe, right? Or two and four. I forget. Three and four. Three and four. We could be looking at a team that should be realistically, I feel five and two very easily could be five and two almost should be five and two. Well, you're counting the Ravens game in there too, or no? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I, I, I think they should have won that Ravens game. So now we take a look at what is going on with Tennessee. What are they doing well? What are they not doing well? And honestly, Kansas city is a mess. We talk about it all the time and I'm, you know, I'm tired of beating the dead horse, but they lack the ability to be physical. And at the end of the day, football is a physical game. You, you win by winning up front and it's nice to have trickery, but what you see from Tennessee is like, we're going to run Derrick Henry at you and we're going to keep on running Derrick Henry at you. And then when you feel like you're about to throw up, we're going to throw a play action at you with AJ Brown and he's going to score a touchdown. And then we're just going to start beating the living piss out of you. And you know, Tennessee's offense is like, no, we're just going to stay on the field. You know, we have the best back in football. We're just going to keep on running, 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 then boom, big play touchdown against the Colts defense that is starting to look better. They're starting to get their feet under them. They're starting to look good. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I stand firm on Carson Wentz. And with this kind of game, I feel like I have to go with the best player on the field, and that's Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is going to be the best player in this game. He's going to get his. I think Tennessee is going to vault itself into that Super Bowl conversation. Maybe Mike Vrabel is willing to put his man thing on the line again. Maybe he'll be willing to (laughs) slice it off if they don't go to the Super Bowl this year. So go ahead. I'm going to pick the Titans. I hate going favorites, but I do believe Tennessee's favorite here. So Mm -hmm. Give me Tennessee 27 to the Colts 26. It's going to be a close one. It's hard to criticize the Titans after a dominating performance over the Chiefs, but I'm going to criticize one thing in particular. They scored five trade uh, on their first five possessions of that game, mm-hmm. and the Chiefs did not score a touchdown. Do you want to know how many carries Derrick Henry ended with in that game? What was it, 17 or 18? No, it was 29. Oh, 29. Oh, geez. That's way off. That is too many carries for your running back when you're winning 27 to three. You got to feed the beast. Put the backup in. Come on. You're going to run this guy to the ground. He's too important to your team to keep giving him this much volume. And he only had 88 yards on that many carries anyway. Like sometimes you got to give your guy and he already threw a touchdown pass. Like he already did made his impact. Like it's okay to give him the fourth quarter. Sometimes Michael took the fourth quarter. Sometimes Kobe took the fourth quarter. Hey, sometimes it's all right for LeBron to sit out. Sometimes you're winning by enough where you can do that. I can't believe I just compared Derrick Henry to those three guys, but nonetheless, when you're this important to a team, you need to protect your players for the future. And I'm kind of annoyed that they did this to Derrick Henry because if he gets hurt or he's run down or at some point, they're going to look back at this game. Like maybe we should have gave him 10 less carries. So he's not worked in running to the ground. That's my only criticism of the Titans right now. I mean, it's Derrick Henry. He's like Superman. He'll be fine. I hope. Oh, look, I mean, he's a beast. He's 260. He runs a four, three. He's ridiculous. He's, a, yeah. he's an alien. He almost doesn't feel real. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? I kind of like this Colts team more than I thought I would. And maybe T.Y. Hilton coming back energized the offense a little bit. And Jonathan Taylor coming into his own. And my guy, Michael Pittman, who has been a bit on this show for other reasons, uh, <laughs> has made plays. He's, I feel like he, he's, he's got great hands and a nice little connection there with Carson Wentz. I'm going to go home team here. Give me the Colts to make this division interesting 
interesting. Uh, I like the Colts 28 to 27 and just a great matchup there in Indianapolis. You're, you, what did you call them? The smelliest city in America? The, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My indie story. God, I'm not sure how many people have been to Indianapolis here, but let me tell you about this. They literally have steam coming up from the sewers at night. Now, it's been a while since I've been there, roughly about six and a half years now. But when that steam comes up from those sewers, it smells like straight up doo doo. It, it is the <laughs> smelliest city I've ever been to. Uh, the place that Peyton built. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's why his face always looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why Eli's face always looked like that too. Yeah, uh, it all I, comes I back. It. We got answers now. The Manning stink face. That's right. All right. Well, New York City doesn't exactly smell like roses either, so <laughs> that explains a lot, too. All right, uh, moving on now to uh, my survivor pick of the week. It is the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to MetLife Stadium to play the New York Jets. Um, now, we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the Bengals because just something that if you told me in the preseason that would happen, I would tell you that you're nuts. But heading into week eight, the top seed in the AFC playoff picture is... Cincinnati Bengals. What a time to be alive. What a world that we live in here. Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase all of a sudden is the new Peyton Manning to Marvin Harrison. It is an unbelievable connection. And when we did our draft show, we buried them for picking a wide receiver over Panay Sewell. And hey, um, for now, hand up. <laughs> looks like we were wrong on that one. It looks like it's working out well because he goes eight for 202 and a touchdown on the Ravens. And he is the front runner running away for offensive rookie of the year. And I don't think if there's a close second, Jamar Chase has made an immediate impact on the Bengals. And they're for real. They, they Their defense is frisky. I can't believe Zach Taylor actually looks like a good head coach. I really like the Bengals. They're fun to watch. Um, and now they get to go and they get a gift in the Jets who might be starting Joe Flacco at quarterback because Zach Wilson got hurt against the Patriots. Um, the, 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 uh, not the Bills. The Jets go into New England last week and they lose 54 to 13. I think Bill Belichick just looks at the Jets and just goes, I'm just going to destroy them as much as I can. I don't care what happens. Like Bill Belichick hates the Jets more than any other team in the league. He has to because he had he showed no mercy. was still throwing the ball late in the fourth quarter in that game. Um, but the Jets, uh, especially without Wilson, who looks like he'll miss some time, are a mess. So the Bengals, I feel like they're going to win big here and now be 6-2. and two. What the hell? What's going on here? You know, I always like quarterbacks. I, 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 they're a fascinating creature. And when you listen to the Manning cast, I want to circle back to this because Tom Brady said something funny about defenses. Basically, we called every defensive player stupid. And they're like, they chase cars <laughs> like dogs. <laughs> So, you know, I, I have a feeling, you know, defensive players are going to be a little bit more on edge this week, you know, a little bit angrier, if you will. We may see a little mm -hmm. more roughing the passer calls this week, if you will. Ooh. So with that being said, I think, you know, in four or five years, um, Joe Burrow will be the second best quarterback in the NFL right behind Tom Brady, you know, Oof. so. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad place to be. You know, 50-year-old Tom, you know, hey, who are we to judge at this point? I'll we'll throw a 700th touchdown at that point in time. Oh, they'll be 800 probably. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I, I think Joe Burrow has all the makings to be in the conversation of the best quarterback in the NFL. And I doubted him the year that he came in. I'm just kind of like, you know, one year, I want to see more college tape. But Joe Burrow is just fantastic. And then you give him that – 
it, it, it's kind of sickening when you have a wide receiver and a quarterback that have that deep level of connection. We're talking Manning and Harrison, Young and Rice, Montana and Rice. Um, you know, Aikman and Irvin were really good. They don't have the numbers to back it up, but it really wasn't a passing offense you yeah. know, that go around. But you kind of see even Brady and Gronk to a certain extent who have a yeah. fascinating connection. That's Burrow and Jamar Chase right now. They are on a different level. They know what each other's thinking. They know when the blitz is coming. Jamar Chase is just so damn fast. I, even if you double cover the kid, he, he's still blowing the top off the coverage. And Joe Burrow's arm strength is second to none in mm -hmm. the NFL, I would have to think. I, I know there's guys with strong arms like Justin Herbert, Josh Allen. He's up there with them. And to me, the, the Jets are a mess. You know, when you can't put points up on the board, Zach Wilson's hurt. You're going to send start Ben White, I think is his name. Mike White. Mike White. You know, whatever white, a white here, a white there, a white, white everywhere. <laughs> and then we'd look at, you know, Joe Flacco just got traded to them. I mean, is he going to be ready for this game? I, I, I have no idea. This, even if the Bengals played their worst game, they're going to beat the Jets. The Bengals could play the sloppiest game of their year, and they're still going to beat the Jets. Give me the Bengals, 36. Yeah, I'm going to go 35. I'm going to go touchdowns and extra points. I think they'll do that. Bengals, 35, Jets, 10. I just I, – Mike White came in and threw a touchdown pass, but they had the ball at the one-yard line, so I don't know how much to make of that. And, honestly, the Jets – they finally got uh, Elijah Moore in the mix a little bit. I think they should probably take that and run with that too because they don't have a ton of offensive talent to work with. But the Bengals are just so impressive, man. They're, they have I – mean, Joe Mixon's making plays. Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins look like a great unit offensively. And then the defense is so frisky. They, may, they really made it difficult for Lamar Jackson and the rest of the Ravens offense. And uh, I didn't expect that. So here we are. The Bengals are going to be six and two, I believe, after they went, beat the Jets. And I think it's going to be since he 30 to the Jets um, 11. Uh, I don't know how they're going to get 11, but I'm giving them 11. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, moving on now to this is all early games, by the way, the one o'clock games and East Coast 10 o'clock games where you are, Matt. Uh, we have two more to go. And we're going to go now to a, this game. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but here we are. It's the Rams traveling to Houston to play the Texans. And, uh, yeah, the Rams coming off of a nice win, I guess. Not really nice, but they handled their business over the Lions. And then the Texans, the fact that they even had a lead against the Cardinals, I would consider that a victory. <laughs> But uh, they've lost now six straight after winning opening weekend. Um, and this just has Cooper Cup, 200 yards written all over it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they pressed a little bit against Detroit, the Rams, that is. You know, it really felt like they were trying too hard to put up 7,000 points on the Lions. And it, and it really showed. I think this, they take a deep breath, they get past that, and they smoke the Texans. It's 44-3. to three. Yeah, honestly, that sounds right. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I, I have Robert Woods in a ton of fantasy leagues, and just watching Cooper Cup just take all of these <laughs> plays instead of him is just painful. But nonetheless, the, the Matt Stafford-Cooper Cup connection was a great one from week one on. I mean, they really headed off. Um, the Rams offense uh, with Daryl Henderson seems to be pretty good too. So, uh, yeah, I don't think Terod Taylor is going to be back this week, but I guess the, I, don't, I didn't know the latest. It's not going to matter. Not not gonna matter regardless uh give me the rams uh 37 to the 
I don't want to say three because you said three. I'll say six. I'll give him two field goals. Uh, so it's six. So now it is time for your favorite part of the show, Matt. And I'm going to tag Henry once again because I, I told him I would tell him when we talk about his Niners again. But the last of the early games on the slate is the San Francisco 49ers traveling to the Windy City to play the Bears. And we already talked about the Niners and um, their brutal showing uh, on Sunday Night Football. But we get to talk about your Bears, Matt. I mean, do you want to take it away here? Do we even need to talk about them here? Because they got shellacked in Florida 38-3 to by the Bucks, And Tom Brady threw a 600 touchdown pass. And it was a lot to forget if you're Justin Fields. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about it for a minute. I don't think we need to spend great details on it because, you know, I think we both predicted Tampa Bay to cover the spread. Was it as ugly? It was uglier than we both thought it was going to be, I felt like. You know, I think we both had Tampa in the 30s, which nailed that pretty well. Mm-hmm. We, we both had Tampa covering the spread. We nailed that pretty well. I mean, I, I saw it coming. The part I didn't see coming and the stupidity of it all is, you know, I just go back to Matt Nagy. So their fourth string fourth string, right tackle, gets COVID, test positive for COVID during the day. So what happens? They don't tell Justin Fields until the start of the game. Like, hey, Justin, your right tackle's out. Don't you think that's something you want to tell your quarterback? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, in the morning, maybe? Like, hey, uh, you know, your right tackle, your fourth string right tackle, because, you know, we've gone through three other ones right now. Uh, Yeah, he's he's not going to play. So their fifth string right tackle, they decide, hey, you know what? We are going to put you one-on-one with Shaq Barrett. (laughs) Is that good? Is that smart? Two fumbles. I I kid you not. Like, you know, we used to talk about Olay blocks where, you know, um, in college or in high school, you know, when you get pissed off at your quarterback, your quarterback says some stupid shit. And you're just like, man, you know what? I'm sick of this. And you just tell the guy, hey, you know, go get him. And, and, and you let the guy just smoke your quarterback just so your quarterback gets his head on straight and he mm-hmm. knows who's protecting his ass. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, he, he just let Shaq Barrett go. Like, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. Justin Fields didn't have a prayer in hell on two fumbles. Just n- not a prayer in hell. Meanwhile, they have Alex Bars sitting on, who's played every position, one of their primary backups through the past couple of years. Why the fuck wasn't he playing right tackle? Because Matt Nagy's an idiot. That's all there is to it. This team is filled with, I got to be able to run my packages. I got to tinker and toy and do all this shit. And, you know, I go back to this, Randy. The Bears were the, Cleo Herbert was the first running back to rush for 100 yards on Tampa in almost 17 games. And they just gave up running the football. They were like, we're going to pass it. We're going to pass it. We're going to pass it. And this is the shit that doesn't make any sense. Defensively, Robert Quinn was out. Akeem Hicks was out. And they had a couple of other lesser guys that really were out as well. So they had guys that were hurt. They still would have lost. I don't think it would have made a difference. But it's still, you know, Akeem Hicks and Robert Quinn, I think we can both say those are two pretty big difference makers not to have on your defense. Mm-hmm. So at the, at the end of the day is I go back to the draft show, Randy, and, and we talked about this pre-show. My biggest concern was you cannot draft a quarterback with these two guys still in there. And mm-hmm. then it doesn't make any sense to draft a quarterback and not to give these two idiots two more years. 
mm-hmm. now, when they drafted him. This has got to end. You, you got to pull the plug at some point after the season. I, they're not going to fire them in the season. But I go to this game, 49ers at Bears, and I swear to God, Bears fans, uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk to you right now. If you don't know how this is going to play out, you haven't watched the Matt Nagy era. You just haven't been paying attention, and you're going to think, all of you are probably thinking, oh, the Bears suck. They're going to get smoked. You know, the 49ers are going to destroy them. This is the exact game where the Bears get an opponent with a little bit of name recognition. People still think of the 49ers as that Super Bowl team. Oh, you know, you know, the 49ers are, you know, tough, whatever. The Bears are going to win this game. I, I, I guarantee it just because it's the freaking formulary or formula for this stupid ass coach and this stupid ass team. They're going to get Hicks back. They're going to get Quinn back. And they're going to wreak havoc on Jimmy Garoppolo, who can't make a decision to save his life. And God help them if they throw out Trey Lance. They get a team that can't, that doesn't have a quarterback that has no fucking idea what he's doing. And we saw this Bears defense went healthy against Joe Burrow and Derek Carr. And they mm. limited both those teams to less than 20 points. Justin Fields, whatever. You just hope he doesn't get destroyed confidence-wise this. But the Bears are going to win this game something like 22 to you know, probably 13 or 14 or 17 or whatever. It's going to be somewhere in the teens, but the bears are going to win this game. And then, you know, the meatball fans are going to be like, Oh, well, you know, Matt Nagy may have some things figured out. This is how you got to win. Maybe it's not so bad. It's still the same thing. This team's going to go eight and nine or seven and 10. something stupid like that. Matt Nagy's going to get fired as he should, but this is going to be the game that the bears win just because this is the stupid ass formula that they always follow. For my sake, I need the Bears to lose as many games as possible because I have a first-round pick in the balance uh, for for April. But you're probably right. Um, The Bears' defense overall is not my concern. And at home against a 49ers offense that is not dynamic, that lacks playmakers at key positions, and a quarterback who can't make plays, it's a big difference and a big drop-off from what you just played in the Bucs. I mean, the Bucs – Tom Brady looks – it's insane that he still looks as good as ever. It's totally ridiculous. Um, they, ha- I mean, Mike Evans caught three touchdowns in that, in that game. You don't, you're not facing a player as good as Mike Evans. You're not facing a player as good as Chris Godwin. Um, you're not facing a running back as good as Leonard Fournette. I think you're playing uh, – I, I just think the Bucs are hard to go against. I just think in general they're super talented. They're a hard team to play. Um, the, 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 I'm glad Leon just said this because – the, the the picture for me in in the game that that was the most telling uh, from a Bears perspective was they showed a shot of Fields on the sideline just looking like he hated his life like he <laughs> was back leaning back like I don't know if I want to do this like reconsidering every decision he ever <laughs> made and um, I know it's not his fault um, per se. But at one point, are the Bears going to just say, we're going to go back to Andy Dalton? Like, is that going to happen at all, or are they just riding this out with Fields regardless? Two things. Um, Fields was the first one to come out to the podium, and he basically came out probably five minutes after the game ended. And, I mean, he had some fire in his soul. He, he was motivated and he was pissed off, which is nice to see because then you get mm-hmm. Matt Nagy, who's just like, will paint a picture about how fucking close this stupid-ass team is. But really, Fields has to be the leader on this, and you can't go back to Dalton at this point. Fields has got to learn now. 
Um, and, and there's blame to be placed on fields. There's some things you can't do in this league. Mm-hmm. He holds onto the ball way too fucking long. Like you have to have an internal clock. Once you get to three with this offensive line, that ball's either got to sail out of bounds or you got to put it on the numbers on somebody because you can't wait five seconds in this league and expect to have time. It's just not going to be there. And he's got to clean that up. The game is moving too fast for him. It's moving so fast, you know, and the one thing that surprises me about it, everyone talks about, you know, Justin Fields as the athlete. The one thing I've noticed, Randy, the most surprising thing is Justin Fields is mobile, but he's not a running quarterback. If you ever noticed it, he doesn't feel like he has a feel for running. Like he can escape. He has escapability and that's going to be added to him, but he looks more like a pocket passer than he does a running quarterback. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And the other thing that he's going to have to fix, and this is one of my concerns in the draft process, was his throwing motion. It is not quick. It takes no. a while to wind up. And I think one of the issues, especially with one of the fumbles, was he had a guy right on him. I believe it was Barrett on one of the sacks. And he was still trying to throw the ball, but he has to wind up so long and it takes him so long to throw it that he's got to shorten that release. It's got to get quicker uh, and maybe a part of the whole internal clock thing. But overall, that whole process in the pocket has to move faster than it is right now. Yeah, I I go back to the right tackle. I mean, he just had he didn't have a prayer in how and that offensive line's bad. And I I think and this is it's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something we talked about. What happens when you're under duress? What happens when you're not protected? You go back to old habits, right? Because mm-hmm. we saw the first couple of weeks, man, his mechanics were tight and compact. But once you start feeling things and, you and you know, instinct takes back in. And I think um, someone said that you have to do something like 2,000 times or for 2,000 hours to fully erase it and for it to become a habit. Like, he's going to have to spend hours and hours and hours and hours on that throwing motion to get that old throw motion out of his head. And I mm-hmm. think that's what happened with Rodgers, and we don't give enough credit to Mike McCarthy in that regard. He sat him for three years, mm-hmm. and all they did was work on his throwing mechanics. They're like, you cannot throw like Jeff Tedford taught you. You have yeah. to throw like this in the NFL. And we all know Aaron Rodgers has one of the best releases in the NFL. So that's a good Ever. point. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Rodgers has the GOAT release. I mean, his, his, his snap of his wrist and, and overall arm is – is unlike anyone else. So Emmanuel said 10,000 hours. So, yeah. Just an observation. I think something that Fields is going to have to work on, yep. uh, especially if he is more of a pocket guy. Um, but I do like the Bears in this spot as well. I'm with you on that. Um, did you give an official score? I'll go 22 to 17. I'll say uh, Bears win 17 to 16 uh, in a a defensive game. Because I do like the Niners defense. I don't know if the Bears offense is dynamic enough to to really give them any problems. So we'll see. I mean, they're going to run the football. We saw what they did against Tampa, against the first-ranked rush defense, and they put up over 100 yards rushing on them. So It's going to be a windy and cold day, rainy in, in northern states, too, across the country this weekend. So maybe the Bears will benefit from that as well. Hopefully. All right, time for the late games on the schedule for Sunday on the Halloween. Maybe you're a little, uh, you're some pumpkin beers in. Maybe you got some Oktoberfest is flowing. And that's probably my plan. Uh, but now these games get uh, some some more interesting games. I think here at least two of them, and we're going to start with one of them. And it's the Patriots traveling to Los Angeles to play SoFi against the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers coming off of a bye week after their loss to the Baltimore Ravens, and the Patriots coming off of a dominant game over the Jets. So the Patriots three and four. 
the Chargers, I believe, four and two. So uh, I believe this game happened last year even, and the Patriots routed them. And I think it was like a 55 nothing game. Maybe that was two years ago. I'm not 100% sure when that was, but that's one of the games that's in my mind. Um, I like the Chargers off of a bye. I think Brandon Staley is going to have his team ready to come out and be prepared. Uh, I think Bill's team will be ready to be prepared as well. I just think Justin Herbert, best player on the field. I think ultimately he will show why he is much more of a guy who's going to be considered a top five quarterback in the future than Mac Jones is. Uh, and I like the Chargers. Just I, I just think the Patriots are a flawed team and they're not playing the Jets anymore. So <laughs> this is the situation that you're in. The Patriots on the road, also much worse team than they are comparatively speaking to when they're at Gillette Stadium. So um, just at the surface, I like the Chargers. This is a spot, Matt. What do you think? It is a different class of competition versus the Jets. I mean, to me, when you when you play the Jets, you, you kind of have to ball that game film up and just throw it in the trash because, you know, it's kind of like the Lions and the Jaguars. I, I think if you play poorly against a team like the Lions or the Jaguars or the Jets, you know, and I, I, the Giants may be a little different. I may take the Giants out of there, but against those teams, you kind of got to throw the game film away. To me, the Chargers are a totally different animal, way better quarterback. Like this is like, you're going from white to Justin Herbert, which is yeah, an insult to even mention those two in the same name for Justin Herbert. Um, just give me the chargers here, Randy. And I, I think it's going to be big because remember they kind of got humbled a little bit with that loss, but I like the chargers here. Give me the chargers 29 to the Patriots 13. All right. One thing I did mention in the last game, I should mention that now Matt Nagy tested positive for COVID-19, not going to coach this weekend. I just want to make sure we touch base on that. Uh, is he officially ruled out for coaching duties? Maybe you're right. Maybe he didn't get ruled out, but I, I know he tested positive today. So I guess we'll have to figure out what's going on there. Which is weird because that's the third time he tested positive and he's been vaccinated. This, this wow, I think Bears fans might be hoping that it's yeah. a severe case or something. Stay, stay uh, <laughs> all right. I like the Chargers. I don't think it's going to be quite the blowout like that, though. Um, give me, give me LA uh, 27 to the Patriots 20. Um, all right, moving on now to Jacksonville, who's coming off of a bye and their first win of the season in London. This is crazy to me. They go from London, come back to the States, now they have to travel to Seattle. That is a long ways to travel. I guess that's why you have the bye week in between, so you don't have to do it so quickly. But, hey, uh, you get Geno Smith. Like, this is a – I feel like this is a great spot for the Jags to potentially win two in a row because um, I think Lawrence showed some things. I think the last couple of weeks he's played pretty well. Uh, I believe they get Marvin Jones back, which would be a nice get back for him. Uh, Urban Meyer maybe feeling himself a little bit here. Uh, I don't like anything about the Seahawks in Seattle without Russell Wilson is like they're they're really bad. I think you're really showing how valuable Russell Wilson is in this time frame because the talent isn't that good. Um, he really carries them and keeps them in every game, keeps them competitive. I mean, they they won the division last year because they had Russell Wilson. That's crazy. Like they they are so, like, and if you're a Jets fan, you're like so happy you have that first round pick right now. So it's crazy to think, but I kind of like the Jags on the road in this spot. I, I do too. I, I don't think you win football games with Geno Smith, at quarterback. I, I don't see it. And I, I'm trying to, you know, envision what has to go right for Seattle. And there's so many things and the Jaguars are talented. You know, James Robinson is a very talented running back. You know, people shit on him quite a bit. 
I, I think he'll be all right. Mm -hmm. My biggest question to you is, all right, let's say that the Jaguars win this game so that they move to two and five, that moves the Seahawks to two and six. At what point do you just say, we can't bring Russ back? You know, it, it's just time to keep him on the show because I think they lose this game and I think they're going to lose the next week. I don't see them winning a game with Geno Smith, the quarterback. I think that's how bad this is. I, I I don't know if if they're not going to win this game. I don't see how you could win a game with Geno at quarterback. The the Jags defense is not that good, and overall you have I mean Urban Meyer's head coach. I mean this Jags are a very winnable game, and no matter who is playing them. So to me, if you're if you're the Seahawks and you're like, all right, well I guess if any game is winnable for Geno, it's this one, and you're going to look at the schedule and say, okay, well he was competitive against the Steelers, and their defense is great, and it was a competitive game against the Saints. Like ultimately, you don't. It doesn't matter if you're competitive in this league. It matters if you win or you lose. I don't care about you being competitive. And ultimately, Geno Smith threw one ball yesterday that resulted in a touchdown, and it was basically because DK Metcalf made an incredible play. It was less about Geno Smith. I am going to say the Jags win this game, and it's going to be a free fall for the Seahawks. And I mean, they're two and five now. They might end up if they end up two and fifteen. The Jets are going to have two top five picks in the draft. This is going to be insane if that happens um but you know russ isn't done for the year there he, he you know he can be back in a couple of weeks i, I think uh, and enough with the russell wilson pre-game huddles and two minute drills to the air i'm sick of it already so it, it's just can't with russell wilson with that aspect of it um but yeah i can't wait to watch russell wilson play actual football again but for now this is what we have give me the jags 21 17 on the road and then make it two in a row for jacksonville yeah give me the jags 24 to 20 God. All right. You know, I'm just going to say, give me the Jags 24 to 15. I think Seahawks kick nothing but field goals. All right. Jason Myers from kicking all those field goals. Myers. Myers College alone, baby. All right. Uh, two more games in the late window here, and it is the Washington football team traveling to Denver to play just the wounded Broncos, and this game's going to stink. But, uh, you know, Taylor Heineke kind of – I, this is the thing about the Washington game. I, I I had them covering against the Packers because it was a ten it was a ten point spread. They had the ball at the goal line. I feel like seven different times, and they didn't score. And one of those plays, Heineke dove for the end zone, but he came up short because they said he gave himself up before the ball crossed the plane. Like that game would have been much closer, I think, if they had found it, if he just walked into the end zone anyway. He didn't even have to dive. No one was really there to hit him or anything. So Washington, to me, feels like they're in a much better situation, uh, much better headspace. I like the coach more. I like the talent uh, more at this point. The only issue is Heineke, but at the same time, the Broncos haven't shown me anything in the last month that they're capable of beating anybody. So uh, if the Broncos were going to win that Browns game, I have a hard time they're going to win this game against Washington. I, you know, I'm just going to say the Jaguars-Seahawks game in this game, hopefully they only show it regionally where those teams are located because I mean, you can't torture the NFL viewing nation with these two crappy games. That's just cruel. No, no, Tom Brady's definitely the game of the week. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, as he should be. Um, you know, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Just I'm going to take Denver 17 to 16. I, I don't think it's going to be a very well-played game. Oh, you're going Denver and get off the schneid. Okay. Just, just going um, with the home team. Okay. I'm going to go Washington um, in this game on the road. Um, I thought they were much more competitive against the Packers than most people realize. More than that score really indicated. Um, and maybe if they can just get out of their own way here. 
they will uh, have success. So uh, I like Washington 22 to the Broncos 17. All right, now for I believe this has to be America's game of the week. It's probably a Fox game, probably Buck and Aikman on the call. This is the NFC South showdown where Tom Brady could not beat the Saints last year uh, until the playoffs, but here they is back in the Superdome in New Orleans. The Bucks uh, six and one on the season, going against the Saints, who are five and two actually, or are they five and two? I don't remember what's the record. Four, four and two. Yeah, they had a bye week. So uh, on paper, this is a great matchup, but ultimately Jameis Winston sort of sort of changes the. Uh, uh, reality of this. I know Drew Brees wasn't great, but he sort of added a little bit of juice uh, to the matchup on paper. I don't think they're getting Michael Thomas back yet in this game, but hey, the uh, the Saints still have Alvin Kamara, and every time we get to watch him, it's always pretty cool. Uh, I like Marquez Callaway too. Marquez Callaway is turning into a nice player, but Jameis doesn't really get to fully unleash him because he, I feel like Jameis, every other throw Jameis, you're like, where's it going here? Is it going to be uh, picked off? Where's it going to be? But ESPN did have a great graphic about Jameis yesterday. He's on pace to have 40 touchdowns and 10 picks. I mean, a four to one ratio for Janus is pretty good. Um, but overall, you watch him and you're like, you're just not that impressed. I, I don't know if it's the talent. I don't know what to make of it. Um, I love the Bucks. I just, I, I know they lost to the Rams, but they look as good as any team and they look like they're poised to potentially repeat. So I like the Bucks in this game and I think it could be a big one too. I, I like the Bucks here. But I, I think if you, you're going to see a couple late hits here from the Saints, I think on Tom Brady, mm-hmm. a couple of personal fouls, unsportsmanlike <laughs> conducts. Um, but ultimately, I, the Bucks are just too talented. I think they can wipe away Kamara. Um, it's not going to be easy, but I think they can. Um, just eh, the Bucks probably get Antonio Brown back, and then you get Mike Evans and. Yeah. Well, whatever happened to Scotty Miller? Is Scotty Miller still alive? I know last year he had a He's big like game. their fifth receiver, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, well, why can't they trade him to somebody that could use him? Oh, Jesus. But poor Scotty Miller. Um, just go ahead and give He'll me He'll catch the- a touchdown in the playoffs somehow. It would be annoying. Right. Just go ahead and give me the Buccaneers. I'll, I'll take them. It's a divisional game. I think it'll be a little tough. Give me the Bucks 30 to 21. Yeah, I do like the Saints defense. They really didn't play well in the Giants game, but overall I think they've played well mostly other than that. So yeah. uh, at home I like them more so as well. So I like the Bucks 29 to 24, and I do think it'll be a competitive game. Yeah, me too. Uh, okay. Now for the primetime games. And, you know, I don't know if NFL, who likes this more than the NFL, but the Cowboys being good, it just has to be <laughs> – something the NFL is so happy about and it's similar to the NBA now that the Knicks aren't an embarrassment they're like hell yeah I can't wait for all the Knicks primetime games um (laughs) the Cowboys are going to be on primetime or on national television as many times as possible because um they're good and I hate to say it but they're fun to watch and uh, coming off of a bye week and I was like oh I can't wait to watch the Cowboys but they didn't play so now they're back on Sunday Night Football against the Vikings in Minnesota you get Kirk Cousins. So you get Dak Prescott and the Cowboys, cool. But then now also you have to get Kirk Cousins on prime time. And I think it's historically known Kirk Cousins is a brutal record, never plays well in prime time. And I think that continues in this game. But this does have shootout potential here uh, in Minneapolis. It's going to be garbage time, Kirk. Yeah, he'll put up <laughs> fantasy numbers when the game is just out of reach. I'm going to take the Cowboys here big. Give me the Cowboys 38 to the Vikings 28. And like I said, I, I think, it, you know, probably three touchdowns late that really are meaningless. Okay. 
Uh, I do like the Cowboys here, and I don't know if it's junk time as much, but I do think the Cowboys go out to a big lead in all of the times that the Vikings score feel um, not important at all. <laughs> it's just every time they score, the Cowboys find a way to score again. So I like the Cowboys 31 to uh, 23 over the Vikings, and uh, both these teams come off a bye, so we don't have to really say anything about the last week, but the Cowboys did have a huge win over the Patriots the week before, and that was a hell of an entertaining game. CeeDee Lamb walked it off in overtime, and the Vikings, I what did they even happen in the last game they played in? I don't For some reason, I don't even remember. I, they won. I know that. Um, uh, sorry, Lucas Albert. I don't remember enough about the Vikings to care. Uh, oh, they beat the uh, they beat the Panthers on a walk off. How could I forget that? That's what happened. they beat Sam Darnold. Congratulations! That, that's an achievement. Yep. Because this team also beat Sam Darnold over the weekend, and it's hardly an achievement. Let me tell you, the New York Giants. Uh, and wrap up our our preview recap segment here. They travel to Kansas City to play the Chiefs. Now on the schedule, this looks like, ah, shit, they're going to get smoked game. But look, the the Chiefs are not what we thought they were going to be. So in theory, this could be a game where the Giants have a chance. My negative Giants opinions here come into play because now I'm like, all right, well, they're not playing Sam Darnold this week (laughs) and they're not home. So I I have a hard time believing that they can win this game because it's still Patrick Mahomes and it's still Travis Kelsey and still Tyree Kill. And if any team can make the defense for the Chiefs look good, I'm sure it is Daniel Jones and the Giants because they've played well. Uh, They played actually decent on Sunday. And decent, I mean, with no Kenny Galladay, with no Canarius Tony, no Saquon Barkley. He didn't turn the ball over at all. Um, Jones was the leading passer and leading rusher for the team. And he also had a 15-yard reception. He made a nice play on a, on a catch for the ball. It was thrown to him. So Daniel Jones played a, a clean game. But I'm not saying he played a great game. But overall, the Panthers are why this happens. I don't know what to make of the Chiefs. We could talk about the Chiefs and their flawed approach. I think we've, we talked about them already in the Titans game enough. Um, but, look, the football is one in the trenches. Um, the, the Chiefs' defensive line is probably thrilled to see the Giants' offensive line because the Giants' <laughs> offensive line is a freaking mess. And um, the Giants' pass rush, besides my boy Aziz Ojolari, who I predicted to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, already has uh, six sacks on the season, um, does not generate much pressure. Uh, Leonard Williams kind of gets sacks when it's doesn't matter. And Dexter Lawrence, similar situation. They're great at stopping the run, but the Chiefs don't exactly run the ball. So we'll see if the Giants can adjust to that. Uh, overall, I do think the Chiefs are going to win this game, but the spread is 10 points. <laughs> that feels too big for this. I, I, I know I don't I don't love the Giants anymore these days, um, but that feels like a little too disrespectful, a little too much credit to the current day Chiefs. Oh, boy, this game, you know, I, I looked at it and I just I don't know what way to go, Randy, to be perfectly honest with you, because it's like. Uh, on one hand, the Giants actually played stout. I, I think offensively they deserve to win against a decent Panthers defense. But once again, you know, J.C. Horn's at Gilmore's out. So they weren't at full strength. And I'm not sure, you know, I, I got to see more Carolina Panthers games to see where that defense really sits. But nonetheless, I think it was a good one for the Giants because it kind of establishes establishes them as not as this garbage team, but as maybe a team that, you know, six wins is in the picture. And, and I, I think they get to six wins, actually. I predicted it before the season. I, I, I don't know. You know, this is the part of the game that struggles because 
I, I feel like if I pick the Chiefs, Randy, it goes against everything that I say about football still becomes a physical game. And to me, it feels like the Giants might be a little bit more physical than the Chiefs. I, I don't think these teams are far separated, actually, as crazy as that sounds. You know, maybe mm. Josh Gordon plays for the Chiefs, and that makes a difference. But I am pulling out the Bushnell special and predicting an upset. I, no way. I am predicting the Giants to beat the Chiefs. Get out of here. I predicted the Chiefs to lose to the Titans last week. I'll have you know. Did we, I, did we both do that? or did we, Maybe I wanted to, but I couldn't do it. I don't remember. I, I don't know. Maybe you did. We'll have to go back and review the tape. But on this one, I, I'm going to predict the Giants to win. And I think the Giants win 28 to 27. Wow. That would be... Something that Dave Gettleman would never talk, stop talking about, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Earn him a contract extension. Yeah, so I'm not rooting for it, I got to tell you. Every every Giants win sets the franchise back a year. So, um, all right. Well, I'm not shocked that you made that prediction because the Chiefs feel like a mess right now. But don't let it fool you. That Giants-Panthers game was 5-3, to three, um, pretty deep into the game. And then Jones makes it a great one-handed catch, and it's sort of the floodgate. floodgates went open after that, per se. So, uh, Sam Darnold is why they won that game, in my opinion. And I, I think that overall, like, there's a lot of excited Giants fans. Like, Jones is the guy. Like, okay, I, I'm not going to say every time he has a game where he doesn't have a turnover, he's the next best thing in the league. Like, I, that shouldn't be the bar here. Um, he is very much average to me. He is Ryan Tannehill. Um, if he ever reaches peak, Ryan Tannehill is his peak. If all of the pieces around him are there, he can be successful. And that, Sounds like what we used to say about Eli Manning as well, but Eli Manning ultimately did carry two teams, uh, well, helped two teams win the Super Bowl, carried one of them too. Um, I don't think the Giants win this game. I do think they cover because the Chiefs, to me, I don't trust them to say they're going to blow out anybody right now. I need to see that to believe that. Obviously, they had a nice second half against the Washington football team, but they didn't do anything to build off of it. So I like the Chiefs to win 27-20. to 20 but they don't cover him. Mean, 10, 10 points is a lot of points. And I think the Giants overall are going to come in um, thinking they have a chance to win this game. Um, but I just like the Chiefs backs are against the ball. They have much more tougher games after the Giants. They kind of have to win this game. And I think they do. So uh, not sure about the injury report on the Giants. We'll see what it looks like. But nonetheless, uh, I do like the Chiefs. Yeah. And, and, and keep in mind. All uh, right. I, hold on. I feel like I got to hedge my bet here a little bit. That is if Shepard. Right. Right. If Shepard and Galladay, Galladay play, if they don't play, give me the Chiefs. But if they do play, I'm, I'm going to take the Giants in this one. But Galladay and Shepard have to play. Okay. Well, they haven't played or played last week. But um, I don't know if we're still alive. I don't think our feet got interrupted. But you still got me, Matt Bushnell? Yep, I still got you. It looks like it paused, but our voices are still going. All right. Well, hopefully we're still recording at the very least, so we're going to keep going. Uh, it says my connection's unstable, so it's probably technical difficulties on my end, so I apologize. Um, anyway, all right. Well, that's at least we got all the games in before all that happened, right? I mean, the hard part of the show is over with here. So I wanted to end the show in a fun way. Um so why don't we do before we do it? Why don't we just tease the next show's coming up? Because we have we were going to have a show tonight, but it turns out we're they're not going tonight after us. They're going to go tomorrow because the World Series starts tonight. So let's talk about it. 
Yep, Dong City will be going live tomorrow with Henry Maldonado Jr. and Vince Mercandetti. Dong City back at Baseball Life tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Great show. And, and it gives the guys a lot of stuff to talk about. Game one, kind of feel how the teams felt each other out. First time in the World Series for the Braves in a long time. So I'm sure Vince and Henry have a lot of thoughts on that, along with the Houston Astros. And then we go, and we go to Thursday with the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast with Corey Richmond and Jason Brooks. You know, a lot of stuff happening in the wrestling world. Some people are unhappy. There's a famous person I've heard, um, a, a famous wrestler that we all know and love, Ric Flair. Apparently his daughter is a wrestler. And I just got caught up to speed on this. And she wants out under Vince McMahon. So I wonder if Jason and Corey will touch on that. I, I think it's pretty interesting mm. with that kind of star power. And then on Friday, we have to step back with Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses talking about how great the Bulls are. Yeah, it, it's just warm <laughs> to my heart to know that the Chicago Bulls are on the topic, are on the tops of their mind at four and oh, Lonzo Ball is shooting above 40% from the three-point line. Uh, do my eyes deceive me? Lonzo Ball has a jump shot. So, mm. and, and, you know, a lot of stuff going on with your Lakers, Randy. And I, I'm interested to hear Leon and Jacob break it down. Why this isn't working with Russell Westbrook right now? Is it a time issue or is the pieces, eh, they just don't fit. So I'm curious about We don't that. have enough time in the show for my thoughts on that. So I'll bite my tongue on that. Okay. And then, um, I, I, I really don't know what's going on with the, uh, total basis podcast. Uh, I saw Felipe and Austin Sparrow on Monday, I thought. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I don't know what time they go. So I apologize. You just kind of got to keep your eyes open for that, ladies and gentlemen. And then of course we're back on Tuesday after a giants and Chicago bears win. Randy and I should be in high spirits next week. <laughs> Uh, we'll see about that, but it'll be November next Tuesday, and uh, it'll be it's crazy even to think about how fast time has flown by. Um, but before we get there, I mentioned that these games are happening on Halloween, Matt Bushnell. It's a big holiday weekend for the kiddos. Um, brings back memories of trick-or-treating up here in upstate New York. So I wanted to get your opinion and maybe someone in the comments section. What is your favorite and what is the best Halloween candy? Because I am a sucker for it. I go into the stores and I, I get my favorite ones. I'm just constantly just eating it in the house. But there's nothing like being a kid and you're like, I really hope I get a Reese's or I hope I get whatever. What was yours? What is it? Has it changed over the years? What, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, it's pretty consistent. My favorite by far is Kit Kats. G give me the mm. freaking Kit Kats all day long. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, not to be underestimated. Number two on my big board, Randy. <laughs> Reese's Peanut Butter, a perfect mix, mix of chocolate and peanut butter. When you yep. bite into it, it's got the right combination. Really hits home. Don't underestimate Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, number two on my big board. <laughs> Uh, now my question is because I'm a big chocolate guy. No matter what, I'm a, I just give me all the chocolate. Um, have you had the pumpkin pie Kit Kats? Because they come out with them recently, and honestly, they're pretty good. Oh my gosh! Okay, um, look, I'm not a big spreader. Like I, I tried the white chocolate Kit Kats. Not a fan. Not a fan. Don't okay. like the white chocolate. Um, the dark chocolate is okay. Brings a little bit more of a uh, dull flavor to it, but I like it. I like it. I like it. I like the original milk chocolate. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not a fan. Although I will say this, those mint Kit Kats, the half chocolate, mm. half mint hits home. I love that stuff. 
I will try the okay. pumpkin spice Kit Kat for you. On, on your advice, Randy, I'll give it a it's shot. Not, it's, not, it's not a pumpkin spice. It's a pumpkin pie. Pumpkin it's pie. Different. I like pumpkin pie. I don't love pumpkin spice. There's a difference. But okay. I do like do like the pumpkin pie Kit Kat quite a bit. Um, for me, Reese's is classic. Uh, I love Reese's. Uh, number one on my big board. But I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Vince's favorite and my number two is super underrated is a Mr. Good Bar. Uh, Mr. Good Bar with the chocolate and the nuts. It's so good and never gets talked about. It gets disrespected constantly. Give me the Mr. Good Bar every day of the week. Love me one of those. And if it's not chocolate, if it's just a gummy candy, um, love me a Twizzler. So can't go wrong with that either. Number three on my big board, though, is Starburst. I I, I need that. But it's got to be specific, Randy. It's got to be that cherry and yellow mixture. Red and okay. yellow has to mix. Otherwise, Starburst garbage. <laughs> okay. Some hot takes on the, the candy front here to wrap up your show. So uh, I wanted to talk about this, so I'm glad we got to do that. And I'm, I'm hoping that you and your family have a great Halloween, Matt Bushnell. And I hope all of you listening, you take the kiddos out, have some great costumes, have a great time. I'm going to be working, but I'll still have a great time nonetheless. Um, but hey, I'm sure I'm going to find a way to get some candy in my life, whether I go buy it or I steal some from my little siblings. I'm getting some candy, whether I, I should eat it or not. It's happening. So. Bravo, sir. You you <laughs> go get that candy and you enjoy the Halloween holiday. You too, my friend. You too. So uh, that wraps it up for our episode today, episode 78. Uh, we'll see you back here next week. I want to thank everyone uh, for listening or watching live on Facebook Live, on YouTube, or listening only on our, our audio-only platforms. We, we really appreciate all the support, wherever you may be listening, however you may be listening. Thank you for making us just a small part of your day. Enjoy all your Halloween candy. We'll enjoy week eight. We will see you guys back here next week.